Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. You may be seated. Great to see you today. Do me a favor. Look, uh, look at someone who's near you and just smile at them and say these words. I cannot tell you how excited I am that you are here this morning. Would you do that? Let's see if you can convince them. Let's do, let's do that. Oh, I love seeing you guys smile at each other. That's good. I like it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, take them, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are going to continue in a series and shift gears just a little bit called The Bridge, Discovering the Other Side of Your Story. And it would be really easy to, to look at what we've been talking about over the as we started before Easter as we talk about how Christ is the bridge to our, our deepest heart's desire, which is knowing what it is to be forgiven and knowing what it is to have a, a clear conscience and to have relationship with God. We talked about on Easter how Christ is the, the bridge into relationship and forgiveness and eternity. Um, and it'd be easy just to stop there, but that is not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. That when you have a relationship with Christ and when you know what it is to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, that then becomes the bridge into so many different transformations in our lives and in our story. And today, what I want to do is continue that. We're going to shift gears a little bit over these next couple of weeks as we talk about how the difference Christ makes in our lives, in our everyday life. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had our regional conference uh, for the missionary church. It's a gathering of some, I don't know, 50, 52, 58 churches gathered together in the Michigan region, and we gathered over in Davison for our, our annual time. And as part of that time, uh, we did a celebration for and, a, and a, an appreciation time for Jim and Brenda Keller, who is our regional superintendent. If I say Jim Keller, how many of you know who Jim Keller is? Okay, so uh, quite a few of you do. Quite a few of you do. Jim is our regional superintendent. Uh, oftentimes we'll say, uh, well, he's your boss. No, it's not so much he's my boss, but he's my overseer. I often, he's a pastor to the pastors, and he gives some uh, direction and help into churches. Jim is so much more than that for me. We have a, a similar heartbeat, and so because of that, we're kind of kindred spirit. Um, but we're also, we hunt together, we're hunting buddies, he's just a deep friend. I just love that guy. Um, I, I would trust my life to Jim, I just really would. And, and uh, so anyway, we did a kind of a going away celebration, he's retiring from that position. For 20 years, he has been the regional superintendent, and then for nine years before that, he was our church planning director and has been a pastor. And so what they did in the uh, celebration time that afternoon is um, they invited a number of us to do a real quick video, and so there was a compilation of uh, a number of uh, different people from around the region, and we just did quick things. Sometimes did funny things, but there was 25 seconds apiece, and then, um, <clears throat> then people got up and maybe were invited to share a little bit more about his story and his journey, and Jim and Brenda were sitting up on the stage as people were doing this. And uh, the denominational officials came, and they said a few words, and just thanked them. I, I just got to tell you, Jim is, um, he is one of the very most respected men in our denomination. He has had influence on so many people's lives. I sat with him this week at some uh, denominational meetings, and just a deeply loved guy. And then his children began to share. And his daughter wasn't able to be with him, her son-in-law, so they did video. And I'm just telling you, I don't know about you, Dan, but I was, man, I was, I, was, I was crying during that time. Because not only of what they said, 
but because of what I knew that meant to Jim. But there was another part of it. It is, gosh, I hope someday somebody can talk like this about me. It was really that. It was really a challenge. And um, as they began to share, and then his son got up. And I know Nate, and um, I consider him a friend, and, and I'm getting to know him better. And uh, I know what it meant to Dad because of the journey that Nate has been on when he got up and talked about his journey and Dad's role in that. And I'm telling you, I know what that meant to Jim and Brenda. I, I just, I've prayed with them regarding that. And um, it was just an emotional time. Then we did a big celebration and stuff. And uh, when we came home, I... I I challenged uh, the pastors who were still in our parking lot. I said, hey, guys and gals, let's, um, let's live in such a way that someday someone can say stuff like that about us. And um, I didn't spend a lot of time with Jim and Brenda that day, but the next morning I text him. And I said, Jim, uh, actually, I just said, hey, buddy, um, I want to tell you how proud and pleased I was for you and Brenda yesterday. I know that you likely felt a little bit uncomfortable at times, but it was so important. With all the negative stuff that we've seen, it's important to celebrate those who have run the race of ministry well. Paul says that we celebrate and appreciate people like that, and it was also just such a great challenge to us as parents and as pastors. And I said a few other things and uh, told him I loved him. And you know what happened when, when Jim and I were talking a little bit later? I said, Jim, you had a, you got, you, you got a Huck Finn Tom Sawyer thing. Because in the story of Huck Finn Tom Sawyer, everybody thought they died and they were hiding in the rafters as they watched their own funeral and they heard all the things that were said about it. I said, Jim, you got to hear what's going to be said at your funeral before you died. I said, that is awesome. And I said, do you ever notice that, by the way? Why is it we always wait until somebody dies to say something nice to them? I would just encourage you. If somebody's made an impact in your life, tell them before they die. I mean, I don't know. It'd be kind of nice to hear that, you know. And, and so I said, you got a chance to do that, Jim. And I just told him, I said, it was so important. We need to do things like that because we need to, exactly what I said in the text. And it reminded me of something a pastor said to me. Um, a few years ago, actually, actually in the last year and a half, I was sitting in a gathering of pastors. And, uh, and I would tell you this guy is a successful pastor. They're seeing growth, and it's, uh, it, was in, it was in our country. It's not here locally. And um, he did a devotional time, and, and he, he, all he did is ask one question. Do you like who you're becoming? And he began to talk about how you can have all the outward stuff working for you in ministry and churches and stuff. But he said, but if you're not becoming who you want to become uh, and you don't like who you're becoming, that, that's, that's really hard. And I began thinking about that and, I, and I, I looked at God's word this week and as I was working through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, it's really interesting to me how Jesus begins to challenge us. The Sermon on the Mount is... Uh, is essentially the cliff notes on the kingdom. If you want to get an idea of the essence of what Jesus is teaching, chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew will give you that picture. And it's interesting that when you begin to look at how Jesus begins to challenge people, he challenges them to look at life differently than simply the outward stuff, but he challenges them to look at a much deeper level and in essence asking the question, do you like 
who you're becoming. And the three categories starts with the first one, which is found in chapter 5, verse, 20, uh, verse uh, 13. And the first one is simply this. I'm going to ask you this this morning. Do you like how you're developing in your spiritual walk? Do you like who you're becoming in your spiritual walk? Um, in verse 13 of chapter 5, here's what he says. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Now, he says that because salt is a purifying agent, and it's more than just that, by the way. Uh, it's a pleasing thing. How many of you like salt? Any of you like salt? Yeah, I, I do too. I'm more of a salt guy than a sugar guy. I, I don't need sweets near as much, but I really like the salty thing, and i got to really watch on that whole thing. And he says, you're the salt of the earth. Why? Because you are a purifying agent in the world. Um, you are a... Um, you are an agent in the world that preserves the world, but not just that. Paul says that when you share the gospel, he says, do so seasoned with a little salt. When you speak truth, and the idea is, is that your life should be attractive to people. And Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. By the way, that doesn't mean you're kicked out of the kingdom. When salt loses its saltiness, the only thing they could use it for anymore was to literally put it on paths to keep the weeds down. So literally, they were going to trample on this thing. But it is something that once you have lost your witness, how do you regain that witness? That's a really challenging thought. Then he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And he goes on throughout the next couple of chapters and he talks about this whole thing of the, the witness that you have is impacted by the spiritual walk that you have privately. And if I were to ask you this question, where you are today spiritually and where you're headed today spiritually, in one year from now, would you expect you're going to be closer to the Lord or further away from the Lord? By the way, if you say I'm going to be about the same place in the Lord, um, you never stay stagnant. You're either moving toward or you're moving away in any relationship. Which way are you headed? Now, it's interesting because when you talk about your personal walk, I mean, there's a lot of things that are part of that. For example, what's your worship life like? And he actually talks about worship and that. And worship is so much more than simply coming together and singing songs with people from church, although that's part of it, and giving praise. But it has to do with our private walk with the Lord. In fact, if I were to try to describe what worship is, the way that I, what, the way that I describe it is, is that in every area of my life, whether it's with my words, whether it's with my public time together, or it's my private time, is my is my life letting people know that, that God is worth being in charge in my life? Or am, is my life making him smile? But he's talking not just about our worship life, but he talks about our walk with the Lord, and then he talks about our witness to others, and he talks about how they're all connected together because 
when he challenges later in this passage, he says that hypocrites are individuals who are one thing on the inside and then they try to play something on the outside. But he says a person who is salt in life is a person who is real on the inside in their walk with Christ and it simply permeates out to impact the people that are around them. And all of us are on a spiritual journey and we're headed in a direction. Now, your direction, I put it in your notes this way, your direction does not determine your destiny, right? It's not about your destiny. Your direction does, however, determine your destination. And wherever you're headed, you will tend to hit whatever direction you're faced. Let me ask that question again. If you were to be honest about your spiritual walk today, and you were to, like they used to have us do this in school where we would have a beginning point and we'd plot to another point and we'd draw a line, where are you headed? Are you headed closer to the Lord? Or do you see yourself drifting further away from the Lord? There's a second one. As we evaluate our life and we want to ask ourselves, do I like who I'm becoming in my inner life? Now, when I talk about our inner life, Jesus says this in verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. In other words, you're not supposed to kill people. How many of us agree that's a pretty good rule of thumb, not murdering? All right, most of us agree to that. By the way, if you did not raise your hand, everybody around you is now moving away a little further. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, that word anger, by the way, is a form. It comes from the root word of orge, which there's about three or four words for anger in Scripture. And it's, it's orgazomenos. That's the word. And it means anger that is stored up and begins to bubble over in our lives. That's the kind of anger. Uh, there is anger in Scripture, which is thumas. Thumas means to, um, to be uh, out of control. Ragas is a word uh, that means to, it means to have rage in our life, right? But, but, but orge, it means to store up anger. It's the kind of anger, by the way, that turns into pikra, which is bitterness and like an acidic anger in our life. Isn't it interesting how Greek has all these little specifics? It's the kind, it, this is the kind of anger that leads to unforgiveness, okay? So that's the kind he's talking about. And he says, he says, you have been told, he says, if you have anger in your heart with your brother, you'll be subject to the, the judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which is, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, and that's just a word that means um, you're worthless, but it's like a vulgarity that says you don't you're not worth anything. Um, he says, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And it's interesting that when Jesus begins to deal with our, our lives, he says it's not enough simply on the exterior life to do certain things. I care about who you are in your inner life. In the next passage, he talks about, um, he says, I, I, you're, it's, it's good for you not to, to uh, commit adultery, but I tell you, I want to deal with your thought life and your lust life. 
Because it's not just enough not to do the action of adultery. It's important for you to have an inner life that is pure. He, later on, he talks about worry. And he says, listen, it's not enough simply to simply go through life. But I actually want you to go through life learning what it is to trust and release and not be possessed in your inner being by worry and anxiety. I've shared uh, at church uh, a number of years ago, and I've shared it a number of times, and it's not something I'm proud of, it's just part of my story, that if there was a cyclical part of my inner life that I struggled with, it was in the area of anger. And I've told the story over the years of just how the Lord just touched me, set me free. It doesn't mean I'm never angry. Sometimes, by the way, I should be angry. And it doesn't mean that I don't ever struggle a little bit with it. But, but the Lord has just done such an incredible work um, helping me in that area of anger. Because what would happen, even after I came to Christ, is that I would kind of release things. But I tended to be the person who would suppress things. And how many of us understand that when you just simply suppress anger, usually that's not, that's, that's not a good thing? We understand that? See, we think, most of us think as Christians that we're supposed to suppress anger, and that isn't actually what Scripture says. We need to deal with our anger. Because when we suppress our anger, it's kind of like taking gunpowder and just taking a container and going really tight. And when you get that, you get what's called a bomb. <laughs> and that's not a good thing, right? And so I remember as God began to deal with me, he began all the time dealing with me. Phil, do you, do you want to be this person? Do you want to become this person who's just angrier in life? And I don't like myself when I'm angry. I remember there was one time um, after Christmas time, between Christmas and New Year's, and I was just spending time with the Lord, and I was just evaluating, and all of a sudden I realized that my edges were a little rough, and I realized that I was, I was kind of holding on to stuff. And I said, Lord, I don't like myself when I'm angry on the inside. I don't like it, and I, I'll be honest, I was selfish. I released that stuff and gave it to the Lord and, and asked him to forgive me, even as I let go of stuff that I, other people who were irritating me, and I just said, Lord, I don't want to be that person. Why? Because my inner life, I wasn't happy with it. All of us are on a path in our inner life, in the way that you think, in the anger that you harbor, even the worry and the anxiety that builds up in your life. Now, here, here's where you are. Let me ask you, in a year, if you stay on the same path you're on, would you anticipate that you'll be happier with who you are in your inner life or you'll be less happy? Stay on that path your entire life. Will you become that person who gets better with age or bitter with age? Which is it going to be? Because we're all on a journey. And he says, do you like who you're becoming? There's a third area that he deals with, and it's in our relationships. And so he goes into that next passage. And by the way, if you, I'm not going to say the entire uh, Sermon on the Mount only fits into these three categories, but it is interesting how much of it has to do with this. And he spends, I will tell you, the majority of the Sermon on the Mount deals in very practical ways with relationships. And here's, here's what he says. He says, uh, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, verse 23, and you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. 
Jesus indicates that the Heavenly Father is not just interested in your vertical relationship with Him, but He's deeply interested in your horizontal relationship with those that are around you. Now, don't get caught up with the word brother. A lot of times we read that and we say, well, that's not talking about uh, just siblings, right? It's talking about, he puts a priority, by the way, within the body of Christ. So it doesn't matter if it's brother or sister or it's pastor or it's parishioner or, or whatever it is. He says, I, I just want you to know it's important for you to deal with these things called relationships. And as you go down through the Sermon on the Mount, I gave it to you in your notes, you're going to notice that he talks about sibling relationships and Christian relationships and business and workplace relationships and marriage relationships. By the way, he talks about in marriage, he talks about how hardness becomes the very root of divorce. He said that if you don't deal with this, if you stay on this trajectory, that's what leads toward divorce. And he, he gives, he challenges us to evaluate where we're at. Our family relationships, our friendships, our enemies, our neighbors, even in chapter 7. In chapter 7, he talks about being judgmental. And he says, how do you deal with the speck in other people's eyes when you yourself have these planks in your own eye. And he says, your relationships are headed in a direction. Do you like where they're headed? One of them has to do big time with our relationship with the Lord, my spiritual walk. The second one deals a lot with my relationship with myself, my inner life. The third one deals with my relationships with others. And here's what I would encourage you. The Lord is the master of alternate endings. The direction that you're headed does not have to continue. You really can change direction. Wesley uh, and, and I enjoy movies, and specifically, we, really, we enjoy Marvel uh, comic movies and the Avengers and... Um, I don't know, how many of you have seen the Avengers? Any of you seen the Avengers? You all know how it ends? I'm going to tell you how it ends. It, it ends, no, it's, it's okay. Um, it's the credits play. Uh, that's the end. So. I thought that was funny. I guess it wasn't. All right. I know what you're thinking. Mother's Day meal is coming real quick. So. But Wesley, um, Wesley gets into alternate endings on movies, and he... Uh, uh, he will often, uh, in the morning when he comes down, he's always, he always has his phone, and he'll, he'll sit there during breakfast, and he'll, he'll watch, like, alternate endings. Like, uh, this movie should have ended this way. By the way, some movies are actually written with alternate endings. Um, over the years, a number of movies that when they did the taping or the, did the filming for the movie, they actually filmed three different endings. And it wasn't until they got into post-production that the, the director made the decision as to which direction the movie is going to be. So even the actors didn't exactly know how the movie was going to end. They wanted to keep it a secret, but they were also still making it up. So they, they have different endings. And I, I guess I would just say this. I believe, okay, without getting too theological, I believe the Lord knows everything. Okay? I really do. I believe he knows everything. I believe the Lord even knows the choices we're going to make. But I also believe that the Lord gives us free will. And I don't know how he does it. I don't understand it. I just believe with all my heart that's what Scripture teaches. And I understand that the Lord knows what the end of the book is going to say. I know he's got everything under control. But I, I will tell you this. I believe with all of my heart the Lord gives us options in life. And the end of our chapter is not yet written. 
he, he knows about my life. He knows everything. But I just believe with all of my heart, God gives us options to alter the ending. That the path that I'm currently on, because he challenges us constantly. He, 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 he constantly is challenging us to make choices and to turn from this and to do this. And so I don't know how it all works together. But here's what I, here's what I would say is that whatever path you're on, whether it be in your spiritual life, whether it be in your internal life or in your relational life, if you don't like where it's headed, God is the master of alternate endings. So let's just say that I, I don't like how everything is going. How do I alter the ending? And I, I real quick want to give them to you that let's just say that I want to I find an alternate ending in one of these areas. Let me give you five things real quick. Number one, be honest with where you are. It is really hard to know where to head if you're not honest with where you're at. Um, before the days of GPSs, and we, I suppose we still do this, we use like a map question. You used to be able to go and you would put in a, a you could print out directions uh, that you could take with you to know how to get somewhere. And you could put in the ending point. And let's just say that I want to go to Cabela's in Dundee. Okay, I don't know why I put that on there. But anyway, let's just say that's where I want to go. You know what it always asks you? What's your starting point? How in the world can I tell you how to get to Cabela's if you don't tell me where you're starting from? If you have a GPS and you plot an area, they will always look and say, this is where you are, this is where you need to go. And so we have to be honest with where we're at. You may say, well, you don't understand. I've tried and I've done my best in my relationships. For the sake of this discussion, I don't care. What I want to know is, do you like where it's headed? Because you can be right and still lose. And so let's be honest with where we're headed. Let's be honest with where we are spiritually and where we spiritually are moving. Let's be honest about, you know what, Lord, I'm noticing that I am developing some anger in my life and I don't like that. You have to know where you're at before you can get to the other side of your story. Number two, take responsibility for it. Take responsibility. Own it. I'm going to give you three phrases that will absolutely keep you from ever making a midlife adjustment. Number one is the phrase, I deserve. But I deserve. You don't understand. I deserve this. I have paid my dues. I have put in my time. I deserve this. And if you are simply resting on the phrase, I deserve, I promise you, you'll never make a path change. Number two, but you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. I am where I am in my spiritual walk because of what my family invested in me when I was a kid. You don't understand. The church I went to, you don't understand. It's his fault because he did this. You don't understand. It's her fault because she did this. You don't understand. And you know what? When we use the phrase, but you don't understand, what we are simply doing is we are justifying where we're at and we're making excuses, basically saying, I want to be where I'm at the rest of my life. And I know that sounds harsh. It's not to be harsh. It's just reality. Let me give you the third one. But I've tried. I've tried. 
which when I say I've tried, what I'm saying is, is I've made all the effort I really want to make in this area. And I'm constantly challenged by the word of God that says, but make every effort. Make every effort. I, um, uh, Calvin, my son, is 26 years old. He's married, and I don't know if I told you or not, but I'm a, I'm a grandfather. I don't know if I told you. By the way, there's a, I, I was going to do uh, one of those little giveaways for cutest grandchild, but I, I knew we'd win. So uh, I decided not to do that. Oh, come on. Every grandparent thinks that. Come on. You know that's true. And uh, Calvin is 26. Um, he's married, has, a, uh, has our grandchild, uh, Jackson. But before Calvin was married and had Jackson, he was 16. Oh. And you know, <clears throat> Scripture doesn't say how old Lucifer was when he fell from heaven. <laughs> I'm going to guess 16. <laughs> and uh, Calvin is, uh, and Dan, you would know this because you know, you're good friends with Calvin. Calvin and I are a lot alike. We have a lot. He, he used to hate that. He now owns it. He just understands it. Um, we both are, um, uh, we're opinionated. We have strong personalities. We're both pretty strong leaders. Uh, we both like to have a lot of fun. And I will just tell you that there were about three years, specifically two years, where Calvin and I just were like this. It was just, and it wasn't just me, by the way. Tammy was like this too, but she's not built quite the same way I am. And, um, and uh, I, uh, I, I'm not proud sometimes of, of the interactions we had. They, they were loud. And um, I remember when he was 16, um, I, went, I said this to him. I said, Calvin, you have incredible leadership gifts, and I get it. You want to lead. The problem is, in this family, there can only be one leader, and you're not it, you know. And, and, um, and so um, we had an episode in the backyard. And I don't remember what it was about. It was probably something stupid. And it got loud. And I walked inside, and I turned, and I was standing against the kitchen wall. And I remember the Holy Spirit pounding me. I mean, as loud as my voice is to you, that's how loud it seemed to me. And he said, Phil, you are never going to be able to have influence or lead your son unless you change the way you lead him. And I'll just tell you right now, our relationship would have never changed if I said, but I deserve. I deserve a little respect. You don't understand, Lord, um, but I've tried. None of that would have resulted in a different relationship today. Because I will tell you, and I, I would still say this, I think I was right it wasn't an issue of being right. It's that what I was doing in that relationship was not helping that relationship get to where I wanted it to be. This is not about being right. This is about where do I want this thing to go? And so I made a radical change. I didn't do it perfectly, but for the most part, it changed, didn't it, Dan? It changed. I, because what I started to do is I began to coach more than I began to tell and instruct. 
And one of the things that I did with him, we don't have time for me to tell it all, but I began to say this phrase all the time, especially when he hit 17. I said, uh, Calvin, uh, you're going to be 18 in a year, and you're going to be making these decisions on your own. So you might as well go ahead and make it now. And, and, it, and it didn't have to do with the big life-altering things because most of them weren't that. I trusted him. He had, I had 16 and a half years of trying to pour life into him. His mom did the same thing. He'd been in church. He knew what was right. He knew how to make decisions. And I said it over and over again. I said, Cal, you're going to be making that decision next year anyway. I won't be there to tell you. You might as well make it now. And you know what is so funny? There were moments he begged me to tell him what to do. I mean, there were literally moments where he said, Dad, just tell me. And I just, I, I just remember thinking, and then in the back of my mind, I was having a conversation with the Holy Spirit, and I said, oh, this is good, Jesus. Thank you. This is really good. I had no idea how good this would be. And he would say things like, he would say, Dad, just tell me. And I just said, no, I, I, you have the ability to make this choice, and you're going to have to make this choice in a year anyway. So you might as well make it now. And I'll tell you what, that, that was, what, eight years ago. And every once in a while, I'm still tempted when he'll call, and I actually think he wants my opinion. And he doesn't. He will say, he'll do something, and I'll go, well, you know, you really ought to do this. And as soon as that happens, I can hear on the other side of the phone this bristling up. And the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, says, Phil, shut up. And I go, oh, that's right. He doesn't really care what I have to say. And, and, and then he'll ask me a question, and I'll have the opportunity. And it really stinks for a guy like me because I think I'm right. And I, by the way, know what's best. My favorite phrase is, is God loves you, and I have a plan for your life. I mean, that's, that's it, right? That's how we are as parents. I have just found I've got to lead him different. Now, you can apply that in so many areas of your life. Where you're headed, if you want a different destination, you're likely going to have to change a trajectory. Let me give you the last couple real quick. Number um, three, ask for help. Isn't it interesting how we're afraid to ask for godly counsel or godly guidance? And we're afraid to ask Jesus. You know, it's Jesus. I find Jesus even made people ask. Even though they, he knew what he wanted them to do, he would walk down the road, two blind guys would look at him, and they'd say, um, uh, you know, uh, Son of God, have mercy on us. And he'd go, oh, well, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, it's like he knew what he wanted to do. And they said, help us see, right? And can I give you a statement on prayer, which in a couple of months we're going to come back to, but I just love this statement on prayer. Prayer is not warring against God's reluctancy. It is embracing his willingness. God wants to help you. It's not like you're trying to convince him to help you. It's not like you're saying, well, Lord, I know you're reluctant, but please do this. No. He's willing. Ask him. Ask him to change your inner life. Ask him to focus your, your life. Ask him to help you in your, your spiritual walk. 
ask him uh, in this relationship and ask him what to do in the relationship. Um, Got to give you the last couple. Be intentional, right? Be very intentional. Make specific steps. And number, number five, begin today. Begin today. Why? Because all of us have said, hey, I'm going to go on a diet on Monday, so let's pick out this weekend, right? Oh, come on. You've done that. The journey begins today. If you want to see a difference in your spiritual walk, it begins today. If you want to see a difference in your, in your inner life, you know what, today, Lord, I've got some anger in my life today. And I'm not going to deal with it someday. I want to deal with it today. Lord, I, I'm going to trust you today. Lord, I'm struggling with my thought life. Lord, I, I ask your forgiveness. Do a purifying work today. This relationship, Lord, today, I want to take steps to change the trajectory. Because if I keep going the direction I'm going, I don't like the way it's going. So help me. Help me to be humble enough, malleable enough, and open enough to have you give me the wisdom to know how to do this relationship. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I, I would imagine that the Holy Spirit has been, um, I had a guy come up to me the first hour and said, man, you were talking directly to me. And I said, you're right, I was. It wasn't me. The, the Lord was speaking into your life. And let me ask you this question. Do you like where you're headed? Spiritually, do you, do you like where you're headed? In fact, can I be so bold? This is to some who are here this morning that, that if you were being very honest about it, you know, Jesus talks about that before you can even be headed on a spiritual journey, you have to first come to him. And he says, wide is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the way to life. And, and maybe you're here today and, and you've never submitted to Christ. And if you were to be very honest about the road that you're on, every road leads somewhere. Yours is headed somewhere. Where's it headed? And you know, Lord, it starts just simply, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I deeply need you. The word talks about repentance. Lord, I, I don't want to walk that direction anymore. I want to turn by your grace and your help. What about your inner life? Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I don't want to keep going down there. I don't like who I'm becoming. A relational life. Lord, I, I don't like where this is headed. You didn't just simply come and die and raise again so I could go to heaven. You said I could have life. And so, Lord, today, I want to honor you and I want you to do what you want to do in my life, to bring me to where you want me to be, to the other side of my story. So, Father, I give you myself today. In fact, this is a defining moment. It starts now, not tomorrow, not the end of the week, not when I get back from vacation. It, it starts today. Thank you, Lord bring about an alternate ending in this area of my life. In Jesus' name.
Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.